I had no idea Allison, Allison could sing like that until she was practicing this morning. She'll do that again, is that all right with you? <laughs> she will come back to you. One of the ways that we explain or we express our love to those special around us is by asking them questions. We say things like this, and you've done this. Do you know how much I love you? You done that? Sometimes when you just don't have the words to express it, you put it into the form of a question. Do you know how special you are to me? Do you know how crazy I am about, about you? Those are questions that are designed to make a point. If you ever have wondered if you are loved, and you want to be certain, and you long to be told, and you really want to know, well, you're in the right place today. If you ever wondered about the love of God, I have good news for you. We're going to look at five questions designed to make a special point to let us know how God feels about us, his children. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, as we look at questions designed to make a point, help us to understand your answer. Help us to focus the way we ought to. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Question number one is the second part of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, that's a scripture you know. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? The question is not simply who can be against us, because we could answer that one, couldn't we? Who could be against us? Well, we could say sickness or sorrow or inflation or exhaustion or neighbors or family or my boss or age or gravity. Or what the list goes on and on about the forces against us. But that's not the question. The question is, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? And four words there need your attention. And those four words are these. God is for us. Say that with me. God, God is for us. Oh, I like that. Sadly, in this world, and we've all seen the news, your parents may forget you. Your kids may disappoint you. Your friends may find another. But be certain of this. God is for you. Not maybe, not has been, not used to be, not might be. God is for you. Isaiah 49 in the Old Testament sheds some light on God's love for us that we can kind of compare to some things we know. Isaiah 49, beginning at verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Well, we, we've seen stories on the news, haven't we? It's possible. Your kids may the sick or show no compassion for the child of her womb. Well, it happens. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you, God says to us. <clears throat> and then verse 16, some amazing words. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. <clears throat> now that's amazing. Mother may forget her baby, but you're engraved on the palm of God's hands. Just going through Easter, you understand that's prophecy of the crucifixion. <clears throat> 700 years before Christ went to the cross, 
Isaiah penned these words. Your name, my name, so very important to God that they're in the palm of his hands. After all, he is for us. No matter what our problems, no matter what is against us, God is able and God is bigger. Back to God is for us. It is a matter of focus. When you think, is God for me or is something against me? It is a matter of focus. We were in Mississippi this week. John, do you want to have that turned on? Sorry. There we go. I was in Mississippi this week, um, and Jeannie got to go with me to visit with her dad. You've done this with relatives that are aging or ill. When you leave, you wonder, is that the last time I'll ever see them on this earth? We've all done that, been there. And it is interesting. I've been so proud of Jeannie and her faith through all of this. Uh, we're not looking at her dad is about to die. We're looking at her dad is about to go to heaven. Do you see the difference? It is a huge difference. If we focused in the wrong direction, we'd be basket cases by now. If, if Allison focused on, I'm leaving everything I know and I'm going to a strange place with some very strange people. <laughs> if that's all that Allison focused on, but you've got a peace because your focus has been in the right direction, and that's why you shared with us what you shared with us this morning. It's a matter of focus. God is bigger. God is able. God is for us. The next question is in verse 32 of Romans 8. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. There's a statement in that question. He did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Won't he take care of us is the question. I read this story in the commentary about this verse. It says, suppose a man finds a child being beaten by an angry mob. The man rushes in and rescues the child, takes him to the hospital for care. The child is treated. The man pays the bill. He learns the child is an orphan. So the man adopts him as his own and takes him home and fixes a room for him and treats him as his own. And then one night the man hears sobbing coming from the child's room and he goes in and says, why are you crying? And the child says, I'm worried. I'm worried about tomorrow. Where will I get food to eat? How will I clothe myself? And where will I sleep? The father is troubled and even hurt by this. Haven't I shown you? Don't you know how much I love you? Questions designed to make the point. Don't you remember how I saved you? Don't you remember that I adopted you? Is it your mind? Would I do all of that and not take care of you? That's Paul's statement and question in verse 32. If he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God loved us so much he gave us Jesus. We should know that he will take care of us. John 3.16, maybe the first one you learned, teaching us the answer to that question. For God so loved the world, he gave up his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. About that, we looked at this scripture last week from Matthew 6. I'll begin at verse 25. 
Do not worry about everyday life, whether you'll have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your Heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? I hope you've done the math on that verse this week if you were with us last week. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And while worried about your clothing, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Romans 8.32 reminds us that God really is for us. In one of the chicken, remember the chicken soup for the soul books that came out years ago? I've saved this story forever. It's about a family that had immigrated from Japan to California in the turn of the 20th century. They established a business and they trucked roses to San Francisco three days a week. And they were known for their long stem roses that had a good life in the base and had a very good business. They lived next door to a family that was from Switzerland. They also grew roses. And both families were equally successful. For almost four decades, from the early turn of the century to the 1940s, the families lived next door to each other and their sons took over the farm. And then December 7, 1941 occurred. Pearl Harbor. And although the rest of the family members were American, the father of the Japanese family had never been naturalized. So internment camps were being built and the nation didn't know what to do and well the family because of the way they looked although they've been here 40 years was sent to an internment camp. The good neighbors from Switzerland had gone to church with the Japanese family. They'd learned about loving their neighbor and the love of God. So when the Japanese family was taken to Granada, Colorado, to a relocation center with tar paper roofed barracks, the Swiss family said, we'll take care of your place. They thought, we'll be back in a few weeks, maybe a few months, and a year went by. And then two, and then three. And while the Japanese family, American family, was in the internment camp, their neighbors worked in their greenhouses. The children went before school to help their neighbors who weren't there, and after school. And the father worked 16, 17, 18, 20 hours a day. And then one day the war ended, and the internment camps were emptied. And the Japanese family boarded a train headed back home. And they had a huge question in their mind. What are we going to find? What's it going to be like it's been three years? You expect your neighbor to keep up your place for a few weeks, but 150 weeks? They were met at the depot by their neighbors. 
And when they got to their house, the whole Japanese family just stood there and stared. There was the nursery intact and scrubbed and shining and prospering and healthy. Roses were growing. The neighbor handed the bank book from the farm with profit to the Japanese man. They went to the house and it was just as clean as the nursery was. And there on the dining room table was one perfect red rosebud waiting to unfold the gift of one neighbor to another. I've staged that story because I love it, a neighbor keeping a promise for three years. God will always keep his promise. He's kept his promises to you your whole life. And he'll keep them forever. The next two questions from Romans 8 are about guilt and about grace, really. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You see the two questions? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen for his own? And who will condemn us? Christ Jesus died for us and was raised for us. And now he's sitting in the place of honor and God's right hand pleading for us. While Jesus is pleading for us and cheering for us, Satan is trying to trip us up and to beat us up. God forgives us as we confess our sin and Satan tries to bring them back and remind us of what we have done, that God's already taken care of. One of Satan's names is Diabolos, which means slanderer. Revelation 12, 10 talks about this. John said, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. <clears throat> Can you relate to that? You ever beat up sometimes? A voice hits you. Remember what you did last year or last decade or before the turn of the century? We're reminded of things. And we should never let that defeat us. Never let Satan accuse and condemn you. First John chapter 1 verse 9 says this. If we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the Psalms talks about that forgiveness. 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions. Don't let Satan accuse you when God has forgiven you. The fifth question, verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That's what we really want to know. Will God always love us forever and ever? That's a question designed to make a point, like the other. I hope you know the answer to that question. The answers are resounding no. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ. You are secure. There's a lot of things in our world that are shaky and 
rattling right now even as we speak. But you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. 